Girl, are we going to actually do this, or can we just sit around and play Wordle all afternoon? Oh, the Wordle is on. Wait, Steve Wordle. must be so good at Wordle. He's good. He gets it like on the third or second, third row every time. Ugh, sociopath. Living with him is miserable. Yeah. <laughs> Hi, Ellen Marsh. Hi, Patricia. My God, you guys, if you want more of us, join us on the Patreon. Every month you get three full ad-free bonus episodes, plus like an extra thing. Like last month we did just a Zoom hang. We literally didn't want to get off the Zoom. We just like kept talking and we're like, I think we have to go now. And then we put it up for everyone to watch if you want to. Everyone gets a little bit drinky. We're thinking about doing like a once a month call-in show where you guys get to call in with your questions and comments and we just react to that. Yeah, I mean, the Patreon really is just for you and that's where we're doing a bunch of series and we kind of let our hair down and we go a little off topic sometimes. You'd have to forgive us. You guys, this week we are recording our first episode of Fear Thy Neighbor. I like it. I'm into it, girl. It's bananas. It was really bananas. People are crazy. Why is everyone so crazy? So we can have jobs. <laughs> Other than that, you guys join the Facebook group. It's the Obsessed with Disappeared podcast discussion group. It is a heavily moderated, but like in a fun way place to go. And I like to say that because our moderator, Sasha, who keeps everyone in check, like she's just really fun and she makes sure that it doesn't go off the rails. You get to go in there and just like make your new best friends. Do you know I went live the other day without you? That doesn't surprise me. We also learned that a lady who came to our Zoom hang was looking to make new friends in her city and we suggested she go into the Facebook group and make a post. Someone made the post for her and they're all doing a meetup. It was very, very sweet. Sometimes I forget how horrible the world is just because I hang out in the Facebook group too much. All right, you guys, season nine, episode 11, Diamonds Are Forever, which is the gayest title about not a gay man. And also, do you know what? What? They are not. They are not. Because do you know what happened to my diamond engagement ring? I don't. When I was in England, I used to take off my ring to wash the dishes because I didn't want the diamond to get dull. And my Uh father-in-law accidentally dropped it down the garbage disposal. (gasps) Oh, no. Which is called, what a sign, yes. So we fetched it out with a couple of little scrapes, but it's not forever. Do you know it is forever? What? Debt. That shit doesn't go away. (laughs) Anyway, this episode tells the story of the disappearance of Bob Weichel. Bob Weichel takes on life with gusto. He loved people. He loved to talk. Everybody liked him that ever met him. He enjoys hunting big game and driving flashy cars. He'd walk right up to you and offer you cash on the spot for your car. You like the wheel and deal. He always looked for a 54 to 56 T-Bird. My father really loved that car. All I can think about is this car right now. One night, Bob tells friends he is about to close a deal on the car of his dreams. When he was last seen, he had a large amount of money on him. He had his diamond ring on. But Bob's dream deal is about to turn into a nightmare. They went on a ride and he was never seen again. So we come out of this coming up on, and we learn that this guy, Bob Weichel, is no ordinary 65-year-old. He's a big game hunter, boo, former restaurant owner, retired sheet metal worker, and a world traveler. I said, damn, Bob. Yeah, yeah. He's just a big lover of life. They tell us he's a big game hunter 40 times. Yeah. I'm like, are we supposed to be fucking impressed by this? Yeah. And at one point, there's speculation that when he went missing, he was actually out hunting big game and got eaten by a bear, and I said, good. Yeah, okay. No, because we were talking hunting the other day. But I don't like the hunting where they like kill the giraffes and they like pose for a picture. I don't like that kind Correct. of hunting. Okay, great. Yes. But also, you if you remember, you were telling us that your family goes hunting in the Bronx, okay? Yeah. So I'm just saying, there are grocery stores where your family lives. We don't need to go hunting anymore. We just don't. Bob Weichel is no ordinary 65-year-old. A big game hunter, former restaurant owner, retired sheet metal worker, and world traveler. He's known for his youthful spirit and his colorful yarns. He loved life, he loved people, he loved to barter, he loved to talk. Everybody liked him that ever met him. So we meet daughter Rebecca, who tells us how friendly her dad was. We meet best friend John, who tells us how much- Wait! What? 
I just have a thing about Rebecca. She says that her dad loved to barter. And I said, I'm sorry. I know we've got bigger fish to fry here. Can we talk about bartering for a second? Nothing in the world makes me more uncomfortable. Bartering? Like bartering means like someone says this is $10 and you're like, I'll give you eight. Yes. No, I know what bartering is. I'm just saying like when we were little kids, my dad used to go to yard sales and he would barter for like coats. I'm like, just give him the $2, dad. This is getting very awkward. I hate that shit. So this is some like, this is some trauma shit for you right here. Okay. Do you want? Do you want? Do you want some time? Um, we can pull this. Um, I can pull this car over right now. You know what? Actually, let's just move on. I'll bury it. Let's okay. move on. It's okay. Yeah. So we meet best friend John, who tells us how much fun he was to be around. Bob just seems like everybody's friend. He was like a good storyteller. Now this is where we pan out to a picture of him with like a bunch of birds, and I mean like a I know. bunch of birds. I don't I know. know what the birds are for. Are they quail? I thought they were maybe quail. They're dead. We're gonna learn that was like a, a, a hunting trip to Argentina. Why are you guys so proud about killing animals in the wild? Why? Like if you're living in the woods and you need to eat right, it, fine. Right. I totally get it. You don't live in the woods, Bob. Right. You don't. I just didn't know what he was doing with like 50 some odd birds. Maybe you stop killing the birds after, I don't know, 10, 12. Maybe you just don't kill the birds at all. I'm just throwing out some wild ideas. But Bob was still a really nice guy. Okay, there you go. Okay. <laughs> We also learned that, like, he was a restaurant owner in Chicago, New Mexico, and Anchorage, Alaska. And I said, next to camping, owning a restaurant has to be the worst kind of life I can imagine. So, so stressful. Like, owning a restaurant, you make, like, no money, and you have to deal with the public. Like, the people who go to restaurants are terrible, terrible people. Yeah. I'm one of them. Yeah. No, I know. I've I've, I've been eating with you, you guys, him and a plate of wings. It's literally oh, something you don't want to see. It's truly destructive. It's, it's some National Geographic shit. His daughter, Rebecca, her children, and his ex-wife are all still back in the Midwest. But he remains in constant contact with them. He and his ex-wife, Joan, are talking about getting back together. But we learned that Bob lives in a suburb of Seattle, and he moved there from his home in Chicago, where his daughter, her children, and his ex-wife all still live. We don't know how he ended up there, but he stays in pretty close contact with his family there, including his ex-wife, who, according to Bob, they're talking about getting back together. And I said, I'd like to hear that from the ex-wife. Where's she? Yeah, <laughs> where is she? I would really like to hear her side of the story on that. Wait, this is the part where I do find out that the game hunting does mean the animals are on walls because we pan to a picture with the animals on the walls. I know. Ricky Gervais would not be happy. Do you know what taxidermists do for a living? Don't they stuff dead animals? They stuff. Isn't that like the Republicans who meet you on Tinder and take you to Jeeps on the weekend? Okay. So, (laughs) Donna Rebecca... Well, no, but daughter Rebecca confirms that they were trying to patch things up, to which I would say immediately no. No, but I'm also like, could the lady speak for herself? Could we get, could we just get a confirmation <laughs> from the ex-wife is all I'm saying. But the one thing that we learned that is very important. Bob keeps a reminder of Joan with him at all times. A large diamond ring he wears on his ring finger. That meant the world to him. My mom had given him this ring when I was very young. It was his everything. He wore it sleeping, fishing, hunting, working on cars. You never saw it off of him. Bob has this big diamond ring that his ex-wife Joan gave him. He wears it all the time. He never takes it off. And I and I wrote, this seems important. Yeah. Slow down on this detail. His ex-wife, maybe soon to be second wife. Totally. The diamond ring, it looks weird on him. Am I wrong? I mean, it's probably a prop from ID, so settle down. <laughs> Like, you, like, wow, you have a lot. You, I've never seen you wear jewelry. And for a man who doesn't wear jewelry, you certainly have a uh-huh. lot of opinions about it. I guess that's true. Okay. I guess that's a, I'll take that note. Okay. That's a fair criticism. Right. So in February 96, Bob is looking forward to his granddaughter's upcoming wedding in June. This guy really does it all. He promised to make an ice sculpture for the event. Quote, a craft he taught himself. <laughs> I was like, is there anything Bob can't do? It's like, I'm just going to mosey on over here in ice sculpture. I worked on cruise ships. That shit is hard. I just love that, like, ex-wife Jonah's like, Bob, we got another huge delivery of ice. What is this for? It's from a sculpture. No one touch it. It's from a sculpture. 
Keep it on us, crazy woman. <laughs> Women are so crazy. He taught himself how to ice sculpt, but he's also like planning that summer to refurbish a car with his grandson. And he's really focused on getting a Thunderbird from the 1950s. I said the grease of it all, the grease lightning of it all. Go ahead. Go ahead. Da na 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 da grease lightning na 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 grease lightning go grease. I even know the choreo. Okay. Yeah. What do you think? That was even more mediocre than I had originally anticipated. So fun for me. Yes. Are you proud of yourself for still being in your fucking bathroom at three o'clock in the afternoon? Oh, I'm sorry. Is there a dress code at our remote? Is there a dress? Is it in my is it in my uh, employee manual as to what the dress code is? I am in my robe. What of it? Your hair is like basically in curlers. Like, how did you just wake up? Oh, when what if I did? Nothing. I nothing. Hmm, okay, hell hath no fury like a mediocre aging gay man. Okay. Bob is passionate about cars. The flashier, the better. He tools around Seattle in a 1989 Mercedes Coupe he has restored. So Bob is passionate about cars. I said barf. No, I said he's restored a 1989 Mercedes. This all happens in like 1996. Bitch, why are you restoring a car that's only five years old? Um, he also did vintage car. That's slightly vintage. But I mean, the car, like most people drive a car for six years. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, why are you restoring a car from yesterday? Yeah, that that's a, that's a fair point. Well, he knew a lot about cars and we don't. So who knows? That might be really hard to do. <laughs> you know, honestly, I do think that like knowing about cars is something that like serves you in your life. If you're a car person, yeah. you know, if my car broke down on the side of the road, like in the middle of the night, I'm sleeping in my car because yeah. I would not know the first thing. Do you know where I would go immediately? Where? YouTube. Everything's on YouTube. You can <laughs> literally <laughs> build a house on YouTube if you wanted to. So John Ogden, we meet him before, lives across the street, and they sort of became friends over this car thing because Bob was always in his driveway working on cars. So even though Bob's family was still in Illinois, Illinois Zanders, <laughs> he definitely was not a lonely man. Every morning he yeah. met up with like a retired bunch of old dudes and they ate breakfast together. And they literally call it the breakfast club. <laughs> I mean, how cute is this? Which reminds I know. me- of my male lion story. Oh, remind, please. You know the male lion story when male lions get kicked out of the pride. They have to find other male lions to be around because they're losers and they can't do anything because the female lionesses <laughs> do everything. So all the old guys are like, should we all get together and like eat eggs together because we don't know how to make our own shit? It's the same thing. Well, Christopher tells us these guys all get together to shoot the breeze. Oh, <laughs> could you imagine just being like, what are you doing today? I'm going to shoot the breeze. Uh <laughs> With a bunch of my grumpy old man friends at the diner. Yeah, oh then, my God. Then I'm going to fix my car. Right. <laughs> Do you want to meet me at 10? I can't. I'm going to be shooting the breeze at that time. <laughs> I am busy. But the thing is, like, that's his morning social plans. Mm-hmm. And then he has night social plans. Because that guy, John, who lives across the street, he, like, has a poker thing in his house every weekend. John always goes, Bob did not win in poker. <laughs> we were always guaranteed to, you know, pretty much either break even or win a little money when Bob was there. I'm in for that. He was guaranteed to donate 40 bucks a week. And it's kind of hard to find somebody that's willing to lose that kind of money every week. If John were gay, he'd be like the creepy old gay guy that like goes and hangs out with like the young hot dudes in the neighborhood. Because right. like all these young kids love having John around. Well, because he's really bad at poker and they basically are a shoe-in to win his $40 every week. I know. Same, Bob. I do not get poker. Poker has been explained to me 300 times. I've just accepted it's not my ministry and I've moved on. Yeah, no. John says like it was great when he would come over because it's really hard to find people who are willing to like lose $40 a week. Yeah. He just, he just wanted pals. I know. But he's talking to all these guys about this car that he wants to buy. Somebody has found a Thunderbird from the era that he he's looking for and he's going to like pay $5,000 for it. That seems like a low amount of money for like a classic vintage fucking car. You've priced out vintage cars lately, honey. (laughs) No, but doesn't that seem low for a vintage car? I don't know shit about shit Mm -hmm. about cars. So I'm not going to have an opinion about, about anything. I mean, maybe it didn't even have an engine. How much do you think a classic T-Bird costs? Go give me a number. $85,000. Great. I'm going to get 700 DMs about that. (laughs) 
<laughs> but Bob has been talking about the T-Bird to the men for weeks, and it hasn't materialized. I haven't been able to get inside to look yet. He seems embarrassed that he has already laid out $1,000 towards the car. It was a third-party deal. Bob had given a fellow some money to buy this car. Bob was getting kind of frustrated that he had not received the car. If you wanted a dollar or $20 to borrow, Bob would loan it to you, but nobody's going to take advantage of Bob. But Bob is embarrassed because this deal isn't happening quickly. It's like a third-party deal, so he's not buying a car directly from the seller. There's, like, a guy in the middle, and he's already given this guy $1,000, but, like, the car hasn't materialized yet. And so John tells us, he's like, the thing about Bob is that he's a really nice guy. Like, if you need money, he'll give you money, but this is not a guy you fuck with. Right. Like, you don't steal money from Bob. (laughs) That's kind of like you. Like, if I needed money, I would totally ask you, but, like, he seems jolly, but do not get on his bad side. He's strong, you guys. He is shockingly strong. Can you imagine you stealing money from me? The daily harvests are bad enough, Ellen. I know. That was, well, that was that was enough money. That was epic, actually. <laughs> so, but that day, apparently the deal was going to go through because that day that he's in the diner, Bob is just chilling with his money clip full of $5,000 uh-huh. cash. Yeah, they say he's like a guy who likes to have cash on him. That's a dangerous thing just in general. And he'll pull out his money clip with like stacked with bills and just like show it to anybody. It's a little too flashy, Bob. A little too flashy. Do you know who else did that? Richard Marsh. Gross. Your dad. Ugh, my dad had a money. My dad was so (laughs) grotesque and Italian like that. Like, Oh, God. So it's the night of February 21st, 1996. Bob announces that everything has fallen into place for the car. He actually wins a hand of poker that night. Round of applause for Bob. (laughs) And they say like he leaves happy. And like John is telling us it was the next morning he was going to go pick up the car. And over the next few days, like John, Bob's best friend, is like shocked that Bob hasn't shown up at John's house to like show off his new car. And more than that, John's also like, wait, where's his Mercedes? Mercedes. His Mercedes isn't in front of his house. John is like the neighbor you want. He like stays out of your business. He invites you over for poker. And if you go missing, he notices. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. If there's a house for sale on the street where John lives, buy it. You should buy that house. (laughs) Oh, he's so sweet. (laughs) Everyone's moving to John Street. So John calls Bob. He leaves messages, no responses. So he's getting kind of worried. So John calls 911. I called 911, and uh, they refused to take a missing persons report. At that time, back in 96, they told me a person has the right to go missing if they want to. It wasn't like Bob to just take off. We knew he was going to pick up this car. So we kind of felt something was going on. John tells us that back in 96, it was still okay to say that people are allowed to go missing on their own. We're not going to take a report. And I was like, oh, John, sweetheart, not much has changed, girl. Yeah. It's for like every single episode we deal with is like them saying adults can go missing on their own. We don't feel like looking for them. Yeah. And then cut to Wednesday, March 13th, 1996. And the first thing Christopher tells us is Bob's mailbox is overflowing. I was like, yeah, babe, it's been three weeks. First of all, we're jumping three weeks. Those LLB. Bean catalogs are piling up in his mailbox. But I also love that John, the neighbor, is the kind of guy that's like, maybe he went on a surprise trip or something and he didn't ask me to, like, get his mail, but I'm going to get and, like, protect his mail. John is a great fucking neighbor. Yeah, but, like, is nobody else freaking out that we just jumped three weeks out of nowhere? And he's still like, well, I guess I'll get this mail from my best friend I hear from every fucking day who goes to the diner and eats the same Eggs Benedict and then plays poker with us. No big whoop. Like, am I the only one that's, like, Shalon? as fuck about this. And like, why is John the only person noticing? Like, why aren't his diner friends being like, girl, where are you? Yeah. But it's also the 90s before cell phones, before like texting all the time, before being in constant contact with people. I did a little side goog. Do you know what percentage of Americans had cell phones in 1996? What percentage? I mean, 2%. 16, but thank you for ruining that for me. (laughs) You asked me a question. 16%. But John sees in the mail that there's a notice that Bob's Mercedes has been impounded a few days earlier at a nearby park and ride. And John is saying like, Bob's been missing for weeks. The car was only at that park and ride for a few days. So it has not been there the entire time that Bob has been missing. Somebody has planted that car there. Like John knows some shit is going down. I have a question. Yeah. What's a park and ride? (laughs) They say 
it a hundred times. I know. I thought it was like when you go to the airport. Yeah, it's like if you live in a suburb, like in Boston, you park your car at like one of those far out tea stations and you like take the tea in. So like that's a parking ride. You park your car and like ride the train. It's a parking lot. It's a parking lot. At a train station. Okay, they said it a hundred times. (laughs) It was very common for Bob to go to the parking ride, catch a bus and then drive his new car home. So for Bob to go to the park and ride wasn't unusual. We were only five blocks away from the park and ride. But his nice Mercedes, if he was going out of town or something like that, he would park that at my house. Bob has now been missing for three weeks. So when John learns that the Mercedes has been at the park and ride for just a few days, his worries grow even more intense. So best friend John, best neighbor in the world, was like, you know what? It is not unusual for him to go to the park and ride because sometimes he would drive a car there, leave it there, and then sell it to someone because he, you know, used to remake all the vintage cars, which you think he's getting at a bargain because clearly you have been to those antique road shows a million times yeah, over. it's a deal. And then he just takes the bus. So it's not weird that the car was there, but it's weird that he's been gone for weeks and it was just impounded there. Exactly. And so he feels like somebody planted the car. So he calls the cops again. This time the cops take the missing persons report and they go to John's house and they're right away like, oh yeah, this is a guy who was definitely going to come back. Like whoever left was not leaving forever. They say there's dishes in the sink. All his belongings were there. There's food on the counter. There's clothes in the closet. Then they go through the car for evidence of some kind of a struggle or some sort of anything. They find no evidence there. And like, again, because of the time that It's 96. Like, the world was just not in touch with each other in the way that we are now. His family in Chicago is, like, trying to get in touch with him. And they're like, it's weird that we're leaving messages and he's not calling back. Well, at the same time in Washington, John, the the across-the-street neighbor, is like, this fucking guy is definitely missing and I don't know who to tell. Bob's family is about to call the police when John Ogden finally tracks them down. He tells them he has reported Bob missing and that an investigation has been launched. Yes. When Bob's daughter Rebecca hears that no one has seen her father since the February 21st poker game, and that his car has been abandoned at the park and ride, she fears the worst. John finally gets contact information for the family, gets him on the phone, and he's like, uh, your dad is missing. I've reported him. And, like, finally the police have taken a missing persons report. Obviously the family has been, like, curious or, like, a little, like, concerned, but they do not know that he's actually missing. So the information that John gives daughter Rebecca is totally new information. Yeah, and she has, like, a nightmare. Yeah, and then John tells Rebecca about the car and everything, and that's when Rebecca has this awful nightmare and she dreamed that her dad was dead. She saw him in this bathtub. It was a very vivid nightmare. I was like, damn, Rebecca. I totally believe in premonitions like that, though. That is is really scary. So the next day, Rebecca drives from Chicago to Seattle. I had to convince myself, well, maybe he got bumped in the head and he's walking around, you know, kind of like in a soap opera. Can't remember, has an amnesia. Or maybe he did fall and get hurt and he's in a hospital. Uh, wait, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. You're just, you're just going to say it like that? What? Well, like, do you know how many hours it is from Chicago to Seattle? I don't, but Rebecca does, like, she does stress in her way that, like, this was an arduous drive. Like, she put effort in and she wants us to know. Right. I mean, you know, had she been drama club at the five, she would have had stuff to listen to. But it is 30 (laughs) hours and two minutes. I didn't need the specificity of the two minutes, Google. Thank you. But you know what that reminded me of? Do you remember in the Allison Jackson Foy case where, like, half the family flew and half the family drove. Uh-huh. Remember? Uh-huh. And they were like, you guys go. You fly. We'll drive. We're going to drive. Yeah, and it was like, the people who weren't actually related were the ones that got on the plane and like the women were left to drive. But I'm like, why didn't you just fly? Like, I, like I'm like i sure there's an answer, but like just fly and rent a car. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'm sure there is an answer. But during this drive, poor thing, she's thinking of like a million different things. She's thinking the worst, but she's also trying to calm her nerves and make up all these scenarios in her head. Maybe he bumped his head and he has amnesia. Maybe he's in the hospital. So like this poor woman is going 30 hours uh. with no word, no understanding of what's going on, just kind of like sitting there 
guessing, poor thing. And my thing is, like, this was 1996, so, like, which even Indigo Girls album was she listening to? I guess Swamp Ophelia. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And, like, do you just listen to that on repeat? Or, like, do you then move on? Because I think by that point they had recorded Lilith Fair. So I guess you just put that double disc into the changer. You know what I mean? That's where people just shut off. That literally nobody else is listening right now. That's Thanks for coming, everybody. I got to tell you that Lilith Fair double disc was kind of a disappointment. After learning Bob liked to travel, investigators begin to wonder if there's an international angle to explore. Maybe Bob had a trip planned he just never told anyone about. There was talk of him going to Argentina. He had been there in the past. My parents did a lot of traveling and really fell in love with Argentina. They wanted to teach their grandchildren about another culture and another country. But this is where we learn that the cops think that, like, maybe he just flew off to Argentina. This is the part of the Disappeared episode we always get, where it's like, maybe he left on purpose. And, like, this guy did love Argentina, like, to the point that he, like, took his grandkids there and he had gone on uh, hunting trips there. And, you know, they look into this theory for, like, a minute, but, like, his passport hasn't been used, his luggage is still at home. And then this is where they talk about maybe he went on, like, a hunting trip and got eaten by a bear. To which I'm saying, I don't want anyone to get eaten by a bear, but, like, if you go into the ocean and you get eaten by a shark, you're at his house. You know what I mean? Yeah. Don't go to a shark's house and get mad when he eats you. Yeah, absolutely. That's the smartest thing you've said all year. But, like, also the thing is, this is what kind of annoys me whenever they do this. They're like, maybe he did this or maybe he did that. And everyone's like, no, dude, he was going to buy his, like, find the bad guy. Something happened with a bad guy. Just find the bad guy. Stop talking about bears and missing and Argentina and, like, let's find, we know what happened. Something bad. No, you're right. And I was just saying, like, we know know what he was going to do that day you know what i mean so i'm like finally the fucking cops are like should we maybe try to track down the guy that bob was gonna buy that thunderbird from the one he'd already given money to and the one that he was supposed to meet the very day he went missing why are we talking about argentina that is a great idea i did not think of that that is that no that is we know where he was going though we know what he was doing that day so we're gonna so we're going to ditch the bear story just so we're all on the same. All in favor of ditching the bear story? Okay. All right. You know what? Fair. Fair. I can admit when I'm wrong. Is it possible that the man Bob was supposedly meeting to buy the rare T-bird knows what's happened to him? Right. The problem is nobody knows who he is. Yeah, I can be at your place and... The only thing about this is that, like, they don't know who this guy is, right? They know he was going to see somebody, but they don't know who. And so we cut to Thursday, March 21st, 1996. Is there anything you want to say? The day after your birthday? I don't know. What? No, it's March 21st, 1996, which is the day of my birthday. No, it's March 22nd. On the show, it said March 22nd. No, we're pausing. We're going to go to the episode right now. Can we have some thinking music? Do, 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 do. March 21st, 1996. I don't give a fuck. Oh, really? Flying or grounded. (laughs) Anyway, I am vindicated. It was on my fucking birthday, batch. Okay. Rebecca remembers her father's breakfast club and goes to the restaurant where the group meets to see if anyone can give her some answers. This is the first time we hear the word breakfast club in this episode. I was very happy about that. But she goes to have breakfast with the old men to see if anyone could give her answers. And the thing is, like, it's so crazy to me when, like, the civilians in the episode do the thing that if the police had just done, we could have gotten here so much faster. Because Rebecca gets all the answers. Yeah. Dalbitch daughter Rebecca's like, all right, so, like, what's going on? And then the old men are just kind of like, back in the old days, gather around the campfire, children, you know, like, talking. And then this guy goes, well, there was just one dude, Michael, that used to show up. Younger guy kind of inserted himself in the group. They painted a picture of a guy that was too young to be with their group. You know, he wasn't retired. It was more like a person that didn't have a job, just hanging out. Probably heard Bob talking vehicles and everything else with his normal group of friends and, and start up the conversation. This guy starts divulging all this information and they're like, yeah, he liked talking about cars with Bob, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, hubbub, cars, cars, cars. Oh, and also like weird, he vanished like the same day Bob vanished. Like ever since Bob hasn't been back, this guy Mike hasn't been back either. And then the the biggest thing, like Rebecca's like a fucking private detective. If she didn't open a private detective shop after this, I don't know what she did with her life because Rebecca finds out, she's like, I wonder if there's any way we could like get a last name for this Mike guy. And then, like one of the men says to her oh we all signed a card for this manager that we love 
love? Rebecca's digging also leads to another important break. She learns that her dad's group had been friendly with a manager at the restaurant who was about to leave his job. The men had bought a goodbye card for the manager, and their new friend Mike had signed it along with the rest of them. And this manager had kept that card. What's more, Bob's new friend had signed his full name. Mike Wynn. The managers got the card. They pulled the card out. Mike had signed it with his first and last name. His name is Mike Wynn. Rebecca, in 15 minutes with these old men, gets more answers than the cops got in the entire, like, six weeks since he's been missing. Right. And Rebecca's like, quick recap. You guys (laughs) met my dad here every morning for your little breakfast club. And then the music's like, don't you forget about me. Okay. And then, and she's like, so some weird guy inserted himself, talked to my dad about cars. And when my dad went missing, he never showed up again. And did anyone want to like say that to anyone else but me? Like, did that not come up in conversation ever again? I know. And the thing that's like so terrifying is that like Rebecca's like now got a hotel room in this small town. And like, As she's about to call the cops to give the cops all this information, she gets a call to her fucking hotel room from this guy, Mike Wynn. Then, before police can find Mike Wynn, he finds Rebecca. He makes a surprise call to her hotel room, saying Bob's landlady gave him her number. He is pleasant on the phone. Telling me, you know, how he's a wonderful friend of my father's and he's very concerned. He just got back in town and heard what happened and he wanted to know what he could do to help. How fucking terrifying. He, like, tracked her down to her fucking hotel room. Yeah, and this, like, creepy McCreep was like, yeah, don't be weirded out. Um, Bob's landlady (laughs) gave me your number. How did the landlady know the hotel she was at? And he's like, let me stop you right there. I know you think I killed your dad because it's obvious that I did, but let me stop you right there. I actually just got back into town. I'm also worried about your dad. All I know is that he was going to a car auction in California. (laughs) And the detective was like, yeah, we weren't buying any of that. <laughs> that yeah, was, that was not a story we were believing. Down bitch daughter Rebecca was like, he was like really nice, which I think is actually very important because we're going to learn about the conning of this man. And uh-huh. guess what con men generally are? Super nice and charming. That way they can get away with everything that they want to get away with. And Rebecca was like, he was nice. He was helpful. He was like, how can I help you? It's so crazy too, though, because when we get there, like he did a lot of really obvious obvious things yeah. that like a lot of people just didn't realize were so obvious. Right. So it's Tuesday, March 26th. Are you you're good with that day of the yeah. week and the date? You're good. That's you have that too. Oh, how cute are you? Look at so. you trying to show me what's what. <laughs> when an investigator interviews Wynn, he tells the detective that he last saw Bob Weichel at breakfast on February 20th. He denies he ever had a deal to sell Bob a car. A background check reveals that Mike Wynn has several aliases and a shady past. So the investigators bring this guy, Mike Wynn, in for an interview. And he says he last saw Bob for breakfast on March 20th. It was Wednesday that year. Thursday was the 21st, just to just for clarity. Thank you, sweetheart. Thank you. So and he's like, yeah, I didn't know anything about him getting a car. That's news to me. But then the cops do a background check and they're like, uh, girl, why you got so many aliases? Yeah. <laughs> and a shit ton of criminal activity, everything from violence to drug trafficking. And he had a girlfriend at the time and the girlfriend was like, yeah, he said he was working. And they were like, no, he was going to hang out with old dudes at a diner every morning. He didn't have have a job. But to your point, his job was being a fucking con artist. Yeah, And so what he did, he would go to this coffee shop and like this is the thing that to me is like, oh, there's red flags everywhere in this story where he would sort of sit at the table next to the old men and like listen to their interests. And then when, remember Bob had this like bad habit of pulling that money clip out like your dad, full of like cash and just sort of like waving it in the air. And so the cops are like, it seems like this guy Mike may have targeted Bob because he would hear, Bob was a big talker. He loved to talk about old cars and he loved to talk about how he was interested in cars and how he would buy cars. And so this guy, Mike, is like, I uh, got a, I got a car to sell. What kind of car are you looking for, girl? Because weirdly, I have that exact kind of car to sell you. Yeah, he was, uh, he was casing the joint. Yeah. That's what they say in the movies, casing the joint. When a detective interviews Wynn, he denies trying to sell Bob a vehicle. 
And then, when confronted with the statements of the Breakfast Club, changes his story. We were, you know, throwing around dates here and there, and the guy just couldn't couldn't get his stuff together. The guy that you're gonna meet? Yep. Okay. He says they had, in fact, discussed a deal, but it fell apart. And this is where Mike changes his story, and he's like, no, 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 we did, we act, act, you're all right, you're correct, we did have a deal, but the guy that I was working with to get this car for Bob, like, couldn't get his shit together, so it never happened, so I don't know what happened to this guy. Right. So their ears perk up at this, you know, Mike dude, and they analyze all of Bob's voicemails. Now, everyone who calls, you know, best friend, best neighbor, John, family. And this is like on an answering machine. Like, these are like not like cell phone voicemails. These are like on an answering machine. Right. While other voicemails from friends and family sound worried, winds are upbeat. Yeah, hey, it's me. Um, it's Friday. Give me a call when you get back next week. Bye. Everyone's super worried and distraught, and Mike Wynn's messages are like, hey, bud, sup? How are you? How you doing? And we hear, like, the yeah. actual messages from Mike. So, like, imagine, it's like his daughter being like, dad, where are you? Oh, my God, we haven't seen you in months. I, you must be missing. It's been weeks and weeks. And then, like, beep. Hey, girl. Yeah. Uh, it's your buddy, Mike. It's your buddy, Mike. Give me a call back. Uh, just wait, wait, wait. And then, like, the beep. Oh, my God, dad. Oh, you must be dead. We love you. Like, it goes in this order, you know? And like, what is this guy Mike thinking? Obviously, he's like trying to create an alibi of some kind. Totally. And then the one that really kind of like makes the investigators be like, you're a fucking idiot. Oh, hey, you return a message. It's me. He calls and is like, hey, thanks for calling me back. And they're like, so you heard from him? So you heard from him. Right. You're the only one of all of the, like, his friends and family that have that has actually heard from him. Yeah. The, the creepy guy from the diner. Sure, sure, sure. So yeah. they're like, you know what? Could you just take a little hop skip down here and take a polygraph? And he's like, yes, I will totally take a polygraph. I would love nothing more than to take a polygraph with you. And, of course, he doesn't show up. And one time he said he was going to a dentist appointment and the investigators <laughs> waited outside the dentist's office and the dentist was like, I don't even know that guy. So Mike Wynn would tell so many lies when he would talk to the cops. Like this one lady cop who is like talking to us was like, he could not even keep track of his own stories. Like she calls him a pathological liar. Which I was like, I mean, anybody who has been married to the people that I have been married to <laughs> knows you got to keep track of the lies. It's a, Just write just, it down. Just write it down. Write Don't it be down. lazy. Come on. The investigation is at a standstill when there is a critical break in the case. Police find out that on February 20th, two long-distance calls were made from Bob's home phone to a rundown RV campground in the Tacoma area. The calls were made to this, like, they describe it as a rundown RV campground in the Tacoma okay. area. A little judgy, but okay. <laughs> and the campground is owned by relatives of Mike Wynn, and Mike's sister helps manage this property. So they go to talk to her. So Mike's sister, Robin, who turns out to be a total down bitch, totally. was like, yeah, that day, February 23rd, my brother, Mike Wynn, super creepy and weird, right? Him and this guy, Bob, came by. And Robin's got all of the details. She's like, they were in a Mercedes. They said they were going to see a car for sale nearby. And Robin spills all the tea. And Robin's like, Bob was, that guy Bob was very frustrated. And all I know was that he went and made a phone call. Poor Bob has been waiting for his T-Bird for years. Give him his T-Bird. He's going to drive to fucking Tacoma with this guy Mike. You know, he's no fun in the car. I also love that Robin describes Bob as her brother's companion. I was like, Robin, what do you think the relationship is there, girl? <laughs> his life partner. So all Already, we know Mike Wynn never told investigators about this little side trip. And remember, uh -huh. the last time he said he saw Bob was at the Breakfast Club the morning of February 20th. So the cops want to bring him back in to talk about this. But the next time the cops see Mike Wynn is on April 11th, where he's brought in for a traffic violation. And he lawyers up. And that's it. He like, the lawyer makes it so the cops don't ever get to ask him questions about this again. And he fucking skips town. Right. And, and, then, and then they say the case goes cold. I'm like... Were they like, well, there goes that. Oh, boy. He's gone. Nice try, fellas. Who wants chilies? Yeah. Chilies? Let's get an awesome blossom. I am bummed. Like, he's just gone? I know. Like, does, can we check flight manifests? Like, what can we do here? If you're the last person to see this guy and the cops know that you've been lying about your story, is that not enough to get a warrant of some kind for something? You know what of I mean? Anything. 
anything, and then he skips town, and they're like, and they just give up. Ugh. I, I, Shoot. <laughs> Dang it. I really thought we were going to get that one. I did. I did. Carl, you tried your best, Carl. Shit up, bro. Oh my God. Soon, Detective Sue Peters joins Holland. She had assisted on Bob's case in the beginning and keeps in touch with his family. She kind of carried the torch, in a sense, because even though the case went cold, I would contact Sue Peters and ask if they heard anything. Bob's daughter, Rebecca's like, we fucking knew it was this guy. Like, we knew it was him. And there was just, like, nothing we could do about it. And then three years go by, and we're in 1999. The detectives give the cold case another look, and they make flyers with Bob's face on it. But, like, nothing really happens. They learn that Mike Wynn is living in Texas. And the detective contacts Sister Robin again, hoping that she's got something new to offer, and she does. And I'm like, look, like, you know that Robin grew up hating her fucking brother. Yeah. Like, if you're going to go on to be some piece of shit that kills a guy, be good to your siblings so that when, like, the cops call and ask them questions, they don't give you up before the question is even finished being asked. I mean, because Robin is ready to tell everything. So we're talking about down bitch Detective Sue Peters. And Sue Peters has always stayed in touch with the family because that's what down bitches do. And so yeah. they try Sister Robin. Robin again and Sister Robin's like, no, I'd wait a minute. You know what? You know what? <laughs> Let me tell you something. This just mm-hmm. clicked. My yeah. bad. My bad. <laughs> this just came to me. We had, turns out, a family reunion last year, and yeah. I made my ambrosia salad. So let me tell you what my secret is. And they're like, bitch, get to the story. And they're like, right, right, right. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Because Robin's a talker. She's just that one you uh-huh. don't want to get stuck in the corner with. Her ambrosia salad is good, though. It is. Yeah. It is. It is worth it. And she will tell you all about it. It. I know. <laughs> Not as good as mine. Not as good as mine. I don't know why they're all of a sudden in the South. No, they are. Wait, no, she's in Tacoma. Okay. Robin had been at a family reunion in Texas within the past year or so. Mike was at the family reunion, and Mike had been in possession of a diamond that had been put into a pendant for a necklace. She thought that was extremely unusual. She's like, turns out he was at this family reunion last year and he had a diamond necklace around his neck, which I had never really seen before. So that was weird. Yeah. And she's like, it was this big, flashy, ugly diamond. Yeah. (laughs) That diamond was beat up, girl. But everyone is saying, remember, this episode is called, what is this episode called? Diamonds are forever because they're not. Yeah. This whole episode is about this diamond pendant, right? Right. So they think they're like, wait a minute, wait a minute, diamond necklace out of nowhere and it kind of clicks they're like was that bob's ring so they track down mike's ex-girlfriend and the ex-girlfriend sings like mike's got some bitches that are ready (laughs) ready to talk at a moment's notice honey you better have some aloe vera because you're about to get burned honey (laughs) listen can you imagine if the cops knocked on your door to ask you about your crazy ex how eager you'd be to talk i'd be (laughs) like do you want me to air fry you some nuggies some chicken nuggies while we sit and have a little chat about this. If you're going to be insane, you guys, you have to be one of those nice, insane people because people want you to go to jail. Everyone just wants you to go to jail. You know what I mean? So ex-girlfriend was like, yeah, listen to this. In February 1996, (laughs) he gave me a diamond necklace. And they're like, February 1996, da-da-da-da-da-da. That was like days after Bob went missing. And then, of course, this fucking piece of shit demands the necklace back when they break up. Yeah. He was like, give me that necklace back, you whore. She's like, okay. I don't know how they decide which scenes are going to reenact and which scenes they don't, but they did decide to shoot a reenactment of him demanding the necklace back. You want your necklace give me my back? Dime. You know what? You can take it. There it is. Goodbye. I'm telling you, I really feel like it's the actors. I feel like the actors are like, can we just, just for yep. funsies, one time for me, could we do that diamond scene? I would love that. I would really love that for me. Just one go. Mm, just one, yeah. Yeah, it's these these actors. They want I'm gonna the I'm going to try and have man. some fun with it. Yeah. Yeah, have some fun with it. <laughs> Detectives learn that diamond that we're talking about that is obviously Bob's diamond. He had sold that diamond to his aunt in Texas for two grand. They persuade the aunt to give it to them for analysis, and they determine that it's like a rare European cut, which so is Bob's, right? Right. And 
daughter Rebecca also was like, you know, he wore that ring every day. So like it might be a little worn. Check and yeah. see if there's like a little chip in it. They knew that Bob's had a chip in it. And so yeah. they look at this ring. They look at this diamond and it has a chip in it. And so then they ask Rebecca, the daughter, to make a composite sketch of the diamond. I thought that was a weird request. Yeah, I was like, Can, it's, it's, a, it's a diamond. I see you and that robe every week. If I had to make a composite sketch of that robe, I would not know. I wouldn't know. I'd be like, it's blue. Like, diamonds are very individualized. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, that's why they're a girl's best friend. Anyway, it works because they say whatever the composite sketch that she, like, did matches exactly the diamond they just got from Mike's aunt. So they go back to piece of shit Mike, and they're like, hey, um, we know that this whole diamond scenario didn't go down the way it went down. And we have this diamond and we think it's your friend Bob's. He's like, you know what? Forgot to tell you this bit of the story. (laughs) He has a ready explanation. He tells them he found it one day on the ground at the same parking ride where Bob Weichel's car was abandoned. I bent over. I picked it up. I'm thinking back now. I'm sort of going back. You know what? I found it on the ground. Yeah. Yep. I found it on the ground at, you know where I found it? I found it. I I found it at the park and ride. Yeah. Weird, right? I found it at the park and ride. And they're like, oh, the park and ride where we also found Mike's car. And then they, and cops are allowed to do this. They lie yeah. to Mike. They tell him that Bob's DNA is on the ring. He has an explanation for that too. He says he showed it to Bob right before Bob went missing. The cops know that, I mean, everyone knows this guy, Mike did it. They just need the evidence to prove it now. Also, big points for the cops because Mike doesn't know how DNA is transferred. Like, (laughs) babe, yeah, he touched it once. Uh Okay, Mike. All right, sweetheart. Go back, go back to science class. Well, and the cops are just saying, like, on Bob's last day, we know he had a ton of cash on him. He had that diamond ring. He goes on a ride with this guy, Mike, and he's never seen again. But the thing is, they don't have a body. So, like, even though they've got all of this evidence that makes it so clear, the prosecutors decide they can't bring a case. I mean, yeah, I mean, any any true crime person knows that a crime without a body is like really hard to prove. Number one, you you have to prove the person is like yeah, actually, actually dead. dead. Right. Also, there's a ton of places in this area of the world to dump a body. He goes, the natural beauty is a godsend to a murderer. Yeah, I was like, Christopher, Christopher, Christopher you can refuse, you know? know. We're, we're on season six by now. You have a little clout, honey. You can refuse the script. Although Christopher gets fired for next season. So you guys, we went ahead to next season because we know, well, he comes back. He resurrects. Yes, yes, he does. But maybe Christopher got too mouthy about not wanting to say that the natural beauty is a godsend to a murderer because he's yeah. not invited back for season six. Yeah, you're right. Actually, read the copy, Christopher. And he just like walks. He just like throws the papers in the air and exits in like just a blaze of glory. This. The evidence always has to be overwhelming for a nobody murder case. So daughter Rebecca's like, I mean, we know he did it, but we still don't have proof. And so this goes kind of fast. Like September 2003, it's been seven years. They have him legally declared dead. Nothing happens. We jumped to January 2009. It's been 13 fucking years. And we don't know what changed really, but the cops finally decide that they have enough evidence to bring a case against a guy, Mike Wynn. Because when they go through the evidence, they say the same exact thing that we've known this whole time. Yeah, and mostly like they keep after everything. It's just the inconsistencies in his story. His story changes, the details change, and they kind of make a timeline of it. And, you know, they know he had given the thousand dollars to Mike for the down payment of the T-Bird. And he was just like making up stories and stalling. And we know for sure he was placed at the campground February 23rd. And Bob was really mad that day. So when they left the campground, the theory is that they leave the campground. They like drive into the wood, like a wooded area. And Bob was like, fuck this. I'm never going to get this car. I want my thousand dollars back. He knows he's not going to get it back. And then like some sort of confrontation ensues and Mike kills him and disposes of the body somehow. And then like takes the car and drives it to the parking ride. And the one new piece of information is that Mike, it seems like actually did confess the murder while laughing to a friend of his in Ugh. Texas. And he says like they don't have a body and they're not even looking in the right place. So like with all of this information, they decide to bring a case against Mike. 15 years after Bob Weichel drove out to buy his dream car and never came home. All rise for session. A jury finds Mike Wynn guilty of murder in the first degree 
at his sentencing hearing in May. He continues to claim he is innocent. I'm not going to beg forgiveness for something I did not do. It's been 15 years since Bob went missing. A jury finds him guilty and he gets 20 years and he never acknowledges the murder. Yeah. And because he doesn't acknowledge that he did the murder, he won't give the family any information about where the body is. Which is so sad. Yeah, he goes down saying he's innocent. And like we close with Dada Rebecca saying, you know, she's relieved that someone has, you know, charged with the murder, but it's sad to not have the closure of having his body so they can properly lay him to rest, which is yeah. like so sad. And like, I always hate when these stories have like little to no closure. And I know you're going to yell at me right now, but I was Why? just like, well, because because I was thinking about whenever that happens, I was like thinking about how sad that is that like people can't like grieve properly. And then I was thinking about like how during COVID there have been so many people that haven't gotten a chance to say like a proper goodbye. Yeah, of course. And I, like I got like really emotional about it today because like grief is like a universal reaction and like grief is complex and it's like personal and not being able to say goodbye can just like complicate that. So if that pertains to you right now, like, you know, if you have said goodbye to someone during this time and you weren't able to say goodbye properly, there are several chat rooms and boards to help with grief. So you can reach out to Grief Share at 1-800-395-5755. And you can learn more about their mission to connect people who are grieving with one another. And I, I don't know, it just got me really thinking. And I know we have a comedy podcast and I'm not going to start crying. So say something funny. <laughs> if we learned one thing in this episode, we know for sure that March 21st in 1996 was a Thursday. Bow, 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 bow. Oh my God, you guys, if you want more of Ellen and I fighting to the death, join us on the Patreon. Every month you get three full ad-free bonus episodes and then another whole thing. Today we are recording our very first episode of Fear Thy Neighbor, which our director of projects, Natalie, thought was Fry Thy Neighbor. So it was on every schedule we had for the coming weeks of recording. It said Fry Thy Neighbor. I thought it was a misspelling. She's like, no, I really thought that's what it was called. She thought we were going to actually cover a series where people like cooked their neighbor. Yeah. The, yeah. The, the Cecily Tyson of it all. <laughs> Wait, I don't get the joke. In Fried Green Tomatoes, when Cecily Tyson's like, secrets in the sauce. Remember when they killed that guy and made him barbecue Oh my ribs? God. Oh you my guys, stars. On the Patreon, we've also covered Who the Bleep Did I Marry? We did, what are the other ones we did? Snaps, you know, evil, evil lives here. I'm still in therapy about evil lives here. It's so much fun. Join our Facebook group. We love you. That's all I got to say. Anything else from you this week? Well, you can join us on Instagram too. We're at the Disappeared Pod on Instagram. I'm at Ellen Marsh and he's at Patrick Hines underscore and we have a lot of fun there too. It's true. And we love you guys. We love you. Bye. Bye. So by the time everyone hears this, it'll be fine. You didn't get Abby. No, I didn't get Abby. Yeah, don't give us wordler spoil. I would never do a wordler word word. But who? I mean, I can't even talk. <laughs> Sing it. Diamonds are no. Who cares? <laughs> yeah. I know when your birthday is March 12, 12, 1, 2, 2, 1, but it was March 22nd. Nope, we're pausing. We're going to go to the episode right now. Oh my God. You are pausing the episode. All right, yep. let's see who wins. Come on. What do I get? What do I get when I'm right? You get a rough and tumble in the backseat of a Jeep with a Republican. <laughs> Anyway, this episode tells the story of the disappearance of Barb. Yeah, Barb. <laughs> Barb, keep it. Oh. Keep it. Boop. <laughs>